Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you have a good day. I'm here today with my good friend, Kanisha. Welcome to the show, Kanisha. How are you? Hi, welcome, Garrett. Good to be on. Thank you. Yeah, so excited to have you today. It's like, I know we haven't known each other for so long, but like, it feels like I've known you for like a while. <laughs> and I know you, knowing you is like, hey, I got to have her on the show. So <laughs> I'm glad to have on and welcome. <laughs> excited to be on with you. Very, very honored, humbled and honored to be here. So let's first off, um, for our viewers, can you please tell us who you are, what you do, and what your background is? Yes, I am Kenesha Williams, I'm eldest child of four from the southern state of Louisiana, moved out to California back in 1999, um, entered the field of education. So I've been in education for 20 years. I um, worked up through the ranks as a teacher, kindergarten, first grade, fifth grade, fourth grade, then had the opportunity to be an assistant principal for two years. And now I just finished up my 11th year as a principal in the same elementary school. So very excited about that. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's a good feat. What's yeah. your definition of leadership? Gosh, I'll, I'll say what my mentor, Dr. John Maxwell says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And he teaches us that if you think that you're a leader and there's no one behind you, then you're just taking a walk. So I always think about who am I influencing? And really that's the definition of leadership for me. Yeah, I really love that definition too. I mean, it's it really puts in, put things into perspective. You know, a lot of people rely on their position or some kind of status or power, but the true leadership comes from within and how you influence. Cause like, you know, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, they had, I guess, no right in any other sense, but to do what they did, they needed influence. And that's, that hits a nail on the cross with what you're saying. Absolutely. And also, and I know you've learned this and I have as well, positional leadership, Dr. Maxwell has five levels of leadership and that's the base. That's where we start. Mm -hmm. And so really I'm leaning towards the top. Um, if, if before I leave this earth, I can be called a pinnacle leader and not so much for myself, but that my leadership legacy is influencing others, adding value to others, then that would be a good life led. I definitely agree so too. I mean, it's leadership is definitely what I've learned from the John Master team is that leadership is about how you live your life and that's how you should always live it. You know, it's not just based in an organization, it's day to day, every single day with your friends, family, you as an individual to others and so on. Absolutely, Garrett. In your experience, what are some common leadership mistakes? <laughs> Being perfect when you're never perfect. And leaders are always perfect. <laughs> Having all of the answers, so we think, but everyone knows that we do not. Um, this, this mask that we can sometimes wear as a leader, because we think that we should have the answers. We think that we should never let our guards down. And I have learned through many mistakes that that is, that is not the way. Um, we cover up mistakes. We don't admit mistakes. Sometimes leaders do that. And it just does not work well with building trust within a team. Can you explain more about trust? And that's such a great big topic, especially with leadership. Because once you lose trust, it's like there's no leadership at all. Yeah, it, it, it is really everything because if, if the people who we're serving with and who we are leading don't trust us, 
then our influence decreases, right? They may follow us because of position, like we just talked about, but if they don't trust us, if they do not buy into the vision, then the mission will not get fully executed with heart. And so as a leader, we have the responsibility to build relationships with people, to give them clear vision, to show them transparency, right? To admit mistakes. And I think when we do all of those things with the, the relationship building, that's where trust is built. And that's where people say, you know what? I, I think I like Kenesha. They, now, now, people don't have to like you as a leader, but it's much better if they do. I definitely agree. I like it when people like me more too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As you know, we're, we're in COVID-19 and we're having another crisis with the George Floyd incident. Um, times are pretty uncertain, you know, with health and how everything's going. So how, what's your approach to creating a plan during these times? Yes, I think it's critical that leaders have to define reality. Very important. Because if we shy away from the, the current a crisis pandemic, then our people won't trust us, right? So we have to make sure that we are defining reality. Also, we do want to take time to listen to our people, the people that we serve, you know, honor their feelings. As leaders, I hope that we haven't buckled, right? We should, we should have uh, sensitivity, but we also want to make sure that we have strength, but we want to show compassion and care. And then after that, we want to give hope right? We are leaders because we are visionaries. And even when we don't understand when there's uncertainty, what we do know is that we're going to get through this, right? And we want to always present hope, whether it's COVID-19, whether, whether it is uh, the crises that with this racial um, instability that is stirred up in our country, we want to give hope, but we have to define reality. How would you how would you know if, as a leader, how would you know if you're actually in reality or you're not? Gosh, I'll tell you, that's an excellent question. It, really, how are you handling the pandemic as a leader? Me? Have we accepted, oh. and I'm not asking you, Garrett, I'm oh, sorry. Wait, it's, it's just a question I'm asking leaders or I'm asking myself, right? Yeah. How are we processing crises? Are we able to receive the facts and still keep our head above water? Can we receive the facts and articulate it back to the people that we serve in a manner that is ethical, in a manner that is uh, non-emotional? When I say non-emotional, it doesn't mean insensitive, but it means that as a leader, we can stand up and we don't buckle. And then can we encourage the people? So if, if I am delivering a message and then the people are, are responding to me, they're saying, but Kenesha, you don't get it. That's not what's really happening. If the feedback from the people that I serve is that I'm not connecting, then it's highly likely that I'm not connecting. So then I need to go back to the drawing board as a leader to really see what is reality and then define that out while coupling that with hope. That's very important. Great, great. And I know you do have an extensive background in traditional education, as well as education outside of traditional senses. What are some things that you didn't learn in school that helped you become successful? So I know most people rely on their degree, but uh -huh. school doesn't teach you everything, honestly. No. I mean, unfortunately, but you know, it is the way it is. Think people first. So I'm a Southern girl. So we believe in positional leadership. You have a title, 
and then it's yes ma'am, no ma'am. So when I first entered leadership, way back when I was still in Louisiana, you know, it was all about position. I mean, not necessarily because of pride, that's just how it is. You respect and you honor authority. And that was really big in my family and particularly in the South. So when I became an adult and received leadership positions, I, I thought this, I didn't learn this in school, that it's about relationship building. It's about thinking people first. It's about team building. Um, leaders do not, as I referenced earlier, do not have to have all of the answers. In fact, you should be asking questions to your team members. That's one of the books that Dr. John Maxwell has. Good leaders ask great questions. So all of these principles I did not know. So I entered my professional leadership career with positional leadership mindset and boy was there an awakening. Yeah, no, the journey as a leader is always not a straight line, but it's always like having to constantly readjust and readjust. Yes. What did you notice from the difference between now as your leadership experience to when you first started your leadership experience? Oh gosh, so on the DISC survey, I am an high ID. So I am a driver, I love people, and I'm very enthusiastic, energetic, love to persuade. But when it's time to get a task done, I want to get it done a year ago. And whether you're with me or not, I'm going to get it done. And, and when I was getting my dissertation, my, my dissertation uh, chair said this, he said, Kenisha, what I love about you is that when I give you a task or when anyone gives you a task, you will take the hill. He said, the same kudos that I give you is also a concern because as you're taking the hill, you leave carnage in the background. And I thought, wow, I'd never seen that or, or thought about it that way. So now in my leadership, after several years later, I am uh, much better, but still I'm growing in the area of thinking people first, putting people first. It's about the team because if you take care of the team, guess what? They take care of the mission. So mission first, when I first started, now people first. How, how has that, that mindset really helped you out, changing that? that um, it is everything. I, when I tell you it is everything, because of my high D style, I just, I drive, I drive, I drive. And so it is, we don't have to talk about the weekend on a Monday morning. Why would we talk about the weekend? We've got work to do. You can talk about the weekend with somebody else. With me, it's time to get to the task, get the task done. And I'm smiling at you the whole time though. <laughs> so just, I just have had to really be intentional about transforming my own mind with it's about the people. And can I tell you, Garrett, I master it every single time? Absolutely not. You know, I'm wired a certain way. However, because it's part of my personal growth and I'm intentional about it, on more days than not, I think people first. And on those days that I do not, because I've built my team up so well and I've, we've got great relationships, they will tell me with love, candor and care, and then I will bring it back. And then I will get back to thinking people first. I know you did say you did your high ID. And mm -hmm. part of the I is you know you influence people. So what are some of your techniques that you really help that helps you influence others? Man, I'm, I'm a motivator. I love motivating. I see the pie in the sky in everything. So when we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, when there's some type of crisis or pandemic, 
then because I'm such an optimistic person by nature, I have to be careful that I, when you ask the question, well, how do you know if you're defining reality? For me, I have such a sense I'm positive. Sometimes I want to skip over reality to encourage the people we're going to get through this. So I've had to coach, I've had to really coach myself, train myself and have others support me and knowing that, listen, you, you, you can give the reality while also coaching the people. So just, I'm a motivator, I'm an encourager, I use my words, I'm very excitable as you can see. And so normally people are stirred up and they're ready to, to take the city in a positive manner. Um, but you know, it's just a gifting that I believe that the Lord has given me. That's great, that's great. I know you, you first started your uh, being a principal back in the crash of 2009, 2008 period. And we're currently in two crises in conjunction with that. What are some leadership principles and lessons you've learned from being in these crises? I tell you, the, the leader really has to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves first. So it, it brings me to when we're flying on a plane, and I'm sure we've all flown. You've flown, I, I've flown. And I never really understood why they would say, I want you to put, your, if you're a parent, put your mask on first, and then you put the mask on your child. And I never really understood that until I began to mature in my leadership. And if I'm not aware of Kenesha and how I'm processing and how I'm dealing with a pandemic or crises or adversity, then because who I am, who we are as leaders, we bring to the table. Right. Mm -hmm. So so we have to make sure that we are monitoring ourselves and then we can give a message to the people. And I can tell you back in 2009, it was my first year and we had to lay people off and it was devastating just you know to see the livelihood of people because of the crises um um be destroyed so it was just with a lot of uh, compassion and, and really i was developing that as a leader so it really sort of stretched me um past you know what i was typically used to but we have to make sure again defining reality um, and knowing ourselves first processing in a manner that's healthy for us so that when we stand before the people to serve them that we can make sure that we're serving from a place of health from ourselves, and then we're giving up health and hope to the people that we are serving i know you said that we have to really know ourselves but like in leadership not everyone knows themselves i mean how do you distinguish whether if you actually know yourself or not because everyone says they know themselves but like when it actually comes down to like the nitty-gritty and actually yeah. stress it's apparent that they don't know they don't know yes. but how do you <laughs> <laughs> so there are two things i'm thinking of one of them is there are many assessments out there um mm -hmm. i have done the social styles assessment but i also am now trained and certified um as a trainer and consultant with the disc assessment it is wonderful it's very comprehensive and it basically just asks you a couple of questions you can take the, uh, the assessment in about seven minutes and then after that it really gives you a diagnostic of how you process how you're wired and um, what are some things that you're naturally good at your strengths what are some areas of growth and i tell you it is a beautiful assessment because it really allows for you to do a deep dive into who you are but more than that um let's say you're a leader in an organization you can do that with your cabinet or your top leadership team so you can really have a functionality of how you guys work together the other portion is ask people who know you that's free and simple just ask them how am i under stress how do i process things 
when things do not go my way? How do I respond when I don't meet a deadline? When, you, when I'm angry and you know it, what vibes do I give off? There's a, there's a principle called the Jahari's uh, pr uh, principle. And basically it talks about the four different uh, uh, areas. And one of those areas we are completely blind in. We, we don't see it like you just said, Garrett. So there are other people that are screaming, hey, just ask me because I, I see it and I'm, I'm happy to tell you. So if we simply just ask the people who we work with, the people who we live with, our families, our friends, but the key, here's the key, particularly if you're doing this professionally, you have to make sure that you set the context that you really want truth, right? Because typically when we are leaders and we're asking people who serve us, they're, they're not, if you don't have positive relationships, they're not going to give you the truth because of fear. So, so we as leaders, it is incumbent upon us that we set a context, right? Um, when we're asking people to give us feedback and that we don't make excuses. All we should say is thank you, period. It's tough. I've done it many a time and it, it, it is tough but it's chiseled me and it's made me better. So I encourage any leader out there, if you have not activated that principle, just ask people, come up with a list of three or four questions that you really want feedback on. Set the stage of you're not going to get feedback. There will, you have to ensure that there's no retaliation. Set the stage and you will grow because I've done it again and I do it consistently. I'm very intentional about that. That's a, that's a great tip. I, I definitely haven't tried that, but I definitely will now. Uh, I think it's it's definitely some definitely different. I know it's I know because my my sister was having kind of issues with my dad one time, and then they were talking about it and how my dad doesn't really like makes all these comments when he don't need to. That my mm -hmm. my sister told my dad, you know, the issue what he's doing, and he didn't realize it. it's like wow, mm -hmm. that's what you said it was like that's totally on point. It's like if you ask someone, it's like then you're gonna be aware of it. Then you can change. It's like Yes. Here's a great book that accompanies that becoming a person of influence by our mentor, Dr. John C. Maxwell. It is phenomenal. I had an episode with my family, um, the leader, Dr. Kenesha Williams, right? Leading all of these people. I had an episode with my family that just went south and guess whose fault it was? Mine. And my influence went down drastically with the people who I love the most had no influence in this situation. And then the next day, Garrett, after this explosive encounter, guess what book I picked up? Becoming a Person of Influence. And I read it and just the tears streamed from my face because I thought everything that I just did 12 hours ago, this book is saying, that's not how you gain influence. And so then I, be, I went back and asked questions and boy, did they tell me, <laughs> they gave me some honest feedback. So I've taken that feedback and being again, intentional about incorporating it. And your, what has helped you become successful in leading a school? Cause I know it's, school is pretty big, no matter what size it is. It's, it's not easy to do it. How, what do you do? Listen, 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 listen. Dr. Maxwell says, walk through the halls slowly. Now, I don't walk slowly. I'm a fast walker, I'm a fast talker. So I don't walk slowly. However, I do walk through. 
So people want to be able to touch their leaders. Now, during COVID-19, there's no touching going on now, but I don't mean physically, right? I, I, I mean, well, really physically too, um, but just as, as an analogy or metaphor, people want to know that they can reach you, that you're reachable and that you're touchable but people want to know that you listen. And again, Garrett, that's something I've had to grow in. I was not a listener because of my high eye. I'm a talker, so I want the floor all the time. I've got, I, I have things to encourage you about. So I've had to practice, and I still practice, listening to the people, getting feedback, asking for their input, asking questions before I come off with this 10-point plan that I think will work without even asking the stakeholders. Who are my stakeholders? They're my community members. They're my families, the parents. They are my children. They are my staff, certificated, classified, proctors, all of those. And then my other stakeholders are my supervisors, my cabinet members, my superintendent. So I have stakeholders everywhere. So it is incumbent upon me to listen, to ask questions, and to really feel the pulse of their heartbeat. That's my job to do that as a leader. And then I can begin to co-labor and plan with them. Great, great. Um, I know part of your job is, no matter what position you're in, leadership not, you have to deal with difficult people. How do you deal with difficult people? Take a deep breath. Appreciate diversity intentionally. And really, I'm gonna say what I just said again, listen. I find in particular, if there is an angry staff member, if there is an angry parent, an angry student, they want to be heard, which is analogous to all of the protests that are happening now in our country. People are fed up with not being heard. So I found as a leader, if I, if I just give them my ear, and sometimes that's all it takes. It's just listening and listening with empathy which again is not a natural tendency for me because I'm a high D again. So I just want to accomplish, accomplish, accomplish the mission. Who has time to listen? I want to talk and encourage you and then get the mission done. So I really have had to grow in this area of listening mm -hmm. and listening with empathy and really listening to understand, right? Seek to understand first, not to be understood. Yeah, Mark Cole, that reminds me of a quote that Mark Cole says, he said, I think it was Mark Cole. Was it him or Chris Robinson? He said, are you listening to reply or are you listening to understand? Ooh. Oh my Ooh. gosh. One of my staff members, Garrett, told me two of them. They said, Kenesha, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say 11 years ago this was. They said, Kenesha, when we are talking to you, <laughs> we can see you listening and thinking to answer us. We just want you to listen. Don't listen to give me a response. Don't have your eyes roll back in your head because you're looking for the answer. Listen, be here with me in the now because sometimes they don't even want an answer. Sometimes people just need to be heard. I've had, again, I've had to learn that because I was always trying to give answers to everything because that's what leaders should do, right? Mm -hmm. That's great. That reminds me of um, a call we had with John Maxwell and Simon Sinek. And I forgot how they got this topic, but they were, were talking about um, being present. And uh -huh. what, the person who asked the question was asking, how do you know who's, how do you tell if you're present or not, or something like that. Uh -huh. And so next, like, he said that you, you, you don't say you're present, someone else does. Mm -hmm. you, if you're saying that you're present, that means you're not being present because you're not focusing <laughs> on being present. The only way you know it is someone else says, they can see, visually see that you're being present with them. So that's straight to your point as well. 
Still, that, that totally makes sense. My staff would tell me, they said, you're not even listening. You are not listening because they would be talking in my office and here's what I'm doing on the computer. Okay. Yes. Thanks. But again, I, I have, I've had to grow, but guess where I got all of that from, Garrett? I asked for their feedback. It was just in me to ask, and boy, if I would bring up my first survey from my staff from 11 years ago, ooh, <laughs> quite embarrassing. I'm glad you mentioned feedback from those around you. I think that's so important as a leader. You know, many times leaders like kind of like, there's a kind of like, I guess, hill that you're on top of and well, everyone's below, but it's choosing leadership, you're at the same level. You know, you want to serve them as much as possible, but the only way of you knowing that is if you ask them. And it's through yes. surveys. And many times yes. leaders don't want to hear what team members say, but it's like, you're hurting the company hurt yourself. Yes. So it's like, what do you and do? Can I tell you something else, Garrett? I mm -hmm. published the entire survey, comments and all, everything. Didn't leave anything out. Nothing. And when I tell you it was brutal, the feedback that was given was brutal. And some of, some of it personal. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, it made me the better. And really, here's the spin on that, Garrett. My leadership receptivity at the time was not able to receive the feedback because my leadership receptors had not matured. So when I go back and I look at the survey, I say, ouch, they were right. Ouch, ooh, that's right. Ooh, that was right. Ooh, that was right. Oh my gosh, they're right. So, so at the time, brutal, seems unfair. Why would they say these things? And then for my heart to publish it, but I can tell you, that's one of the things I think that, that gained, we talked about trust earlier, that gained trust. Because of the level of transparency I had from day one, I said, hey, I need your help. Now, I thought I was rocking it. I'm not going to lie. For the first three weeks, I said, I am blowing their socks off and mine too. I'm the best leader that's been around ever. And then I gave a survey three weeks after that. So six weeks in and reality hit me like an 18 wheeler truck. I was not the best. In fact, I, wasn't, I was not the best thing since sliced bread. I was molded bread. Molded bread that had been sitting out for months. That's what the survey said. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I know we're we're in difficult times now with we're so disorganized with economy, health, George Floyd, everything's going on. How do you keep yourself organized? So I have a great team. So I'm not so on the disc survey, they, they there's uh, the I and the C, and the C is the organizer. I'm not a C. <laughs> in fact, that's my lowest area is a C. <laughs> so I so I have learned, Garrett, over over time that in my areas of weakness are areas that need growth and development, right? I surround myself with people that are high in those areas. So as far as professionally at my job now, my office staff, they are amazing because they know exactly what I need. Now, it was tough at the beginning, right? Having to mesh everything, um, but now they know what I need. They, they help me with that. So, so I have a leadership team when it comes to organization. Okay, what, what projects and processes do we need to do now? You know, what, what, uh, what a promotional item um, is ready to market, you know, for our staff? What's next? So I, I have people, I've 
built up teams around me that are good in those areas, right? So I can rest and rely that they're going to help me if they see me veering, veering off um, in, in that area. My mind, I've got, uh, my mind is uh, like this. But, but it's been working for me for 42 years. <laughs> but C is not my type, uh, it's not my top style. I know part of being a leader, it's part of it's having to be accountable. How to be accountable to others without crossing too far of a boundary? Yeah, so for me, accountability, it, I think we begin to already, already reference that. My accountability to them is I'm transparent, I'm authentic. I admit mistakes publicly. Hey guys, I missed it on this. There was an initiative that we were doing a couple of years ago at my school. And um, this, this was past the time where at the beginning the, the, the feedback was brutal. This was years after we built relationships. So we are smooth sailing, great relationships. I mean, getting a lot done. So I heard their voices saying, ah, Kenesha, I'm not sure that we're ready to do this. And I just, you know, with my D, driving, driving, let's get it done. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And because, and, and trust even, we have to be mindful when we have trust from our people because then people start following you and they'll just they'll do what you say because they like you and they trust you so we have to really carry that weight with responsibility um so i just was pushing this initiative and i really didn't take the time to slow down and hear okay you know what they really needed before they felt like the initiative would go and of course we launched it and within three weeks we had to pull back and it wasn't their fault it really was my fault i take responsibility so i owned it i called them into a meeting on a friday say hey guys here's where we are We've launched this program. I'm hearing some concerns. I take full responsibility as your leader. I think I pushed you quicker than what um, you need to be pushed. And as you were asking for it, I did not fully attend and listen. So I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to leave this problem with you all to figure it out because I trust you, your professionals. If we want to continue with it, we will. If we want to modify it, we will. And I left the room. And when I tell you the amount of um, um, kudos that my team said, Kenesha, we appreciate that. You know, thank you so much. And really, they abandoned the project. And, and really, at that time, it needed to be abandoned. We weren't ready for it. I did not give them the time that they asked for. But because our relationships were so strong, right, and I'm a high I, so I'm an encourager, I'm a persuader, and I get people stirred up and excited. And it was good to do for kids, but we just not do enough uh, background work the foundation work to make sure that we could uh, run it successfully. So uh, you own it as leaders. You own, when you make a mistake, you're transparent. And if you give a survey, publish it all. You'll be fine. That's why, that's why you're a leader. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a really great advice. And I know that we're in another crisis, the George Floyd crisis. Um, what are your thoughts about this and in, in regards to leadership as well? Yeah, I think um, a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Let's just sit on that. There comes a time where silence is betrayal. Then another quote that he says, he says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. So I think what we're seeing now in our country is people of the African-American community, they feel like their voices have not been heard and they have been silenced. And, and there's a feeling that 
racism has been swept under the rug because we've had a, maybe an African-American president, because we're not publicly lynching, and I'm just going there. So, so things are fine, some people think, and they're not. So what we saw just a few weeks ago publicly, had we not had technology, we would probably think that we've advanced past racism as a country when really we have not. And what I believe we're seeing, and, and, and again, let me just clarify, I am not a proponent of violence. I, I, I am not a proponent of hate, but protesting is not the same as looting. And unfortunately, in this season, people have made them one and the same because they don't want to hear the message. And I'll give you another quote by Dr. Um, uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. He says, and justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So no matter what our cultural or racial descent, we have, an, we have a moral obligation to speak up. And to me, this, this season now, there's a line in the sand. We can no longer be silent. Because if you are, your silence, unfortunately, is speaking loudly. And we've got a community of people, of minorities, mm -hmm. that are fed up with being silenced. And they want their voices heard. And here's the deal. Just, they want the voices heard just so we can even have an equal playing field. That's what, we're not asking for anything more. Just can I have an equal playing field? And, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, Garrett, I'm from the South, from Louisiana, where the Ku Klux Klan had meetings at my school. So I had to be raised where my mother raised us and said, in order for you to even have a voice, you have to show up 100% better to even be considered equal. So my mother and my father were very intentional about how we spoke, about how we dressed, about how we attended to our studies. Because even in the community that I lived in, there was racial separation. And in, in order for me to even get a seat, to even be considered to get a seat at the table, mm -hmm. I had to work my, my fanny off to even be 100%, and I'm not saying I was better, so please don't hear that. I'm just telling you even my personal experience. So I have African-American brothers, two that I was raised with, very successful young men, but I can't tell you that I'm not concerned about them being pulled over, and they're law abiders. One's an engineer, one's a nurse. But at the end of the day, the first thing we see is this. And until we can have a conversation as, as a nation, as a world, where we can come to the table and let all voices be heard. Mm -hmm. But if the black voice is not heard, then all voices are not being heard. So we have to own that. We have to just sit in that. And I know it's uncomfortable, but we have to be okay with being uncomfortable if we really want to get down to this. This is, not just a, this is not just a riot issue, this is a heart issue. 
This is a matter of the heart. Wow, that was powerful. What do you think leadership, what do you think of leadership is gonna go from here, from this incident? I mean, I think a lot of people have been speaking about, and so it's kind of, we're waiting for leadership to really take that step because we're, we're, we're there, we're going as a society, but yeah. it's, there's still disconnect. So, so remember when you asked me what's leadership, leadership is influence. So mm -hmm. I'm not waiting on the president or the governor. I, I'm taking a stand. So, so behind me is the name of my business, Transform Nation. And at the bottom, and I, I don't know that you can see it because I'm in the place of it, it says, change you, change the world. So I think the first thing as leaders, you, Garrett, myself, and, and those of us who are watching this, we have to take our individual stand. And, and I'll tell you, no longer can we be silent because your silence is a stand. Either we are for racism or anti-racism. The line is being drawn in the sand now where none of us will be able to hide behind silence anymore, family, because silence, unfortunately, will begin to be perceived on the slant of racism. So, so as leaders, we have to take a stand and not a private stand, a public stand. Either we are for it and we support racism or we are anti and we are against it. And notice I did not say against the culture. I said racism. It is the common enemy of every culture. Mm -hmm. African-Americans, Caucasians, Asian, Latinos, Hispanics, Africans, anybody, Muslims, anyone. We have the same common enemy, and that enemy is racism. And it's going to take every single leader to band together and take a public stand against it. And when we do that, then we force out the darkness, right? We force out those who are silent and we force out those who are really for it. We cannot remain silent. We have to take a public and a verbal stand against racism and we have to band together and we have to be okay with being uncomfortable because in order to heal these hearts that are broken on, in, in all of us family, we have to come to the table and let people speak their truth and listen and empathize. My sister um, was telling me about an encounter that she had with one of her Caucasian friends. And again, she still lives in the South. Um, and, and they were talking about the current issue. And she said, the person told her, um, there's no racism. I, you know, I don't know why you all keep bringing this up. And you know, there's this victim mentality and, 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 and they got, you know, got into it and it ended with the person saying, get your black A out of my house. Oh. We have got to show up and we take a side. Mm -hmm. Remember, the enemy is racism. The enemy is not African-American. The enemy is not Caucasians. The enemy is not law enforcement. We need law enforcement. I love law enforcement. Our common enemy is racism and silence. And when we as leaders take courage, which is an important skill as a leader, and take a public and a verbal stand, show up at the table, converse, and, and know, it, that's where that self-awareness comes. 
We have to know when we are impassioned to rage. And at that moment, maybe you are silent. <laughs> Just for that moment to gather yourself and then speak your truth. And, and when the truth hurts, listen anyway. And know that this is not a quick work, but it's worth the work. I definitely agree with everything you've said. Do it peacefully, everybody. No yes, violence. Yes. Violence is not peace, necessary. Peace. No <laughs> violence. No, no. Protesting doesn't mean violence. Protesting is you are going to hear my voice. That's what that is. Now, there are other organizations that have other, you know, idealisms, but you've got a population of people who have been silenced and their voices not, have not been heard. Mm-hmm. And, and their voices have been lied on, as we see with the situation that happened in the park with a Caucasian a lady who was making up a fabricated story with the African-American male. And without technology, she probably, I just guess it would have been believed. So when my sister's told, get your black A out of my house because racism doesn't exist, it's an indication that it's fully here and it's alive and unfortunately it's well. So I believe if we as leaders of all races, creeds, cultures, and genders, nationalities, if we band together against this common enemy, we can change this world. Hence my company name, Transform Nation. We change ourselves first, then we go about changing the world. How do we do that? That's big. You know how we change the world? One person at a time, starting with ourselves. Then I influence one, then that one influences one, then that one influences perhaps three or four or five. That's how we change the world, one person at a time. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, it's, it comes down to our, what, we, what we do as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you said a lot, so I mean, I don't think to say much. <laughs> And so we're about to wrap up now. I'll ask these get all my guests these same three questions. Uh, first one is, let's say you're talking with a niece or nephew, probably around the age of 10 or 12, and they yeah. ask you, Auntie Kanisha, what do I need to do to become the best leader that I can be? So self-awareness, one. So knowledge of yourself, mm-hmm. knowledge of others, right? So know yourself, know others, and the knowledge that personal growth should be a lifelong desire. I definitely agree with all of those. Um, next question is, what's one thing you could take away from being a leader? Gosh, it's all about the people. When I started my leadership career, it was all about the mission. I mean, and I can execute, Garrett, I can execute a task. And now my, the whole construct of my, my mental frame has been changed over the years and that's come that's come because i've made mistakes right and i've received feedback and i've been chiseled and gosh but it's changed from mission first to people first because when i take care of my people the people gladly take care of the mission i definitely agree with that i know it's john mass has been a big proponent of people and it makes so much sense when you actually think about it, it you can, leader can't be there without those around them most people think it's the other way around but it's it's about the people yes and last question what's your favorite leadership book 
Oh gosh, Dr. Max, Dr. Maxwell says, when somebody asks him that, he says the book I'm currently reading or writing. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many books out there, gosh. Um, I, I'm probably going to select, oh gosh, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I'm actually uh, using that book and just doing some uh, leadership lesson nuggets on those. And they are jam packed with the practicalities of leadership. So sometimes, you know, when you're in school, you learn a lot of leadership theories and management theories, and they're all great and true. But what I like about the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership is that they are so practical, you can almost look over them and say, oh, I know this. But the question is not just knowledge, it's the activation of that knowledge, mm -hmm. right? Which that's what wisdom is. Wisdom and growth is, I'm now activating that which I know. So it's a phenomenal book with practical steps um, that will allow a leader to be aware of how they're doing, but also to improve in their leadership growth. Yeah, I definitely love that, love that book too. It's a lot of the, the principles are super simple, but yes. you have to execute them well to do yes. it well. Absolutely. And you could read that book like so many times and still get something good out of it. So Yes, yes, sir. Again, Kanisha, thank you again. I, I know I certainly learned a lot, and I hope you as viewers have learned a lot as well. I hope everyone stays safe and healthy, and be peaceful when you protest, and take care, everybody.